All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have John Leon. You might be familiar with John's work from a number of projects, some of which being Summer Wardrobe, Abermore. He even played with Rocky Erickson. Yeah, epic, right? Um, but we're here to talk about his recent project, the Royal Arctic Institute. And this is a really cool project. The music has got this blend of, like, space jazz country, and it's very melodic, and put, it's, it, it's a vibe record for sure. And uh, through our conversation, um, John revealed that it was kind of meant to be listened to as one, one big piece. But uh, this was a really fun conversation. Like, I've been diving in, trying to find stuff kind of about John, because he's, he's been in a lot of projects. He was a full-time hustling mu musician. So it was, it was kind of hard to find, like, a through line. But um, he's, John's got an amazing YouTube channel for my guitarist friends and nerds. If you want a deep dive in some Mark Rabot or some just, like, cool stuff, check out John Leon on um, YouTube. His YouTube channel's got some cool stuff just from concerts he's been to, which didn't make it easy to figure out who and who he has not played with, but it's still really cool. Um, and this, John was one of the only people so far to look up what I've done. He w he was telling me the sea level tracks he checked out, which was super touching. And, like, this was just a fun conversation. I was excited to talk to John, and I, he, he was excited to talk to me, and just we nerded out about guitar stuff and his record and his musical approach. It was a really, this is a really fun conversation. But before we get into that, um, let's listen to a track off the new record. So the new record is called Catnap Tacoma, um, and the song we're going to listen to is Fishing by the Lantern. Thank you. 
Fishing by the Lantern, the Royal Arctic Institute, the album's Catnap the Coma. Um, it should be available on all streaming platforms as of this release. And uh, they are doing a cool to tape, cassette tape that is uh, release. And um, I think that's a limited quality quantity. And that will be on their website and uh, social media links and such. I feel bad because during the interview I kept saying catnip. And I don't know why. I read catnap, but on my mouth came catnip multiple times. But uh, <laughs> it led to some, uh, some, good, some good cat conversation. John's awesome. This conversation was a lot of fun. Um, I look forward to meeting him in real life one day. Um, but until then, we'll, we'll live with this. Um, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe uh, to the podcast and all the podcast platforms, or some of them, and uh, just help uh, by doing that little like button, helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insight with you. Uh, with that being said, this is my conversation with John Leon. Okay. I have two cats in the background, too. So okay. they're not one, but they're Good. five. <laughs> okay, they're, yeah. They're getting yeah. the zoomies right now. Um, Man, that's all that's been here is just zoomies. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. We brought him home like a week and a half ago. And it, it, it's been so amazing to watch. There's such little lights. But my God, I would do anything. To have that much energy <laughs> right? for just, you know, I would give three years of my life to have that much energy for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, in a way, you're, right. yeah. you're, you're, you're living it faster. It's go time. Go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Have you always been a cat guy? No, that's what's yeah. funny. Um, I was always highly allergic to cats. Huh. Um. And I mean, I didn't dislike them, but I stayed away from them. Like I never bonded with a cat. And uh, 13 years ago, uh, I met my wife, and it was really kind of—it's going to sound kooky, but it was really love at first sight. Both of us, you know, we, we worked together, and we we just fell in love. And on our very first date. We went out to dinner and we were having this great conversation. And I was thinking, well, this is the rest of my life laid out in front of me, you know. And right when I thought that, she got this huge smile on her face and she said, I just got a kitten. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fuck, great. <laughs> but oh, that's that, that kitten is now 13. And I love her more than I ever imagined loving an animal. And she loves me more than she loves my wife. <laughs> Got her. It's, it's so, so, yeah, that turns me. That totally turns me. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that was kind of, I kind of had the same, same situation. I had a, a girlfriend at the time, and she had these uh, two adopted cats. And the, at the time, I was probably in my early 20s. And like uh -huh. um, I've like you never had a relation with a cat or anything or really a, I've only had dogs you know and yeah yeah and like uh, I'm like is it supposed to shake it's shaking and it's just like yeah that means it's happening <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, awesome. oh this is nice okay <laughs> and then this you know this becomes so loving um, yeah they do yeah they do <laughs> but that's beautiful that's be it's um, and as a musician, that's no better pet. <laughs> like, 
It's really, yeah. You know, I mean, you can you can leave them for a good fifteen hours. Right, right. And and they're fine. You know, you come home and they they don't care. They don't care that you're home. They just kind of look at you like, hey, okay, everything's changing now. Are you going to feed me or not? Is this how this is working? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how does that how does that tie into the new album from Catnip to Coma? Like, <laughs> No, I don't. Well, uh, God, I never thought about that. It doesn't really. Um, <laughs> you know, from catnap to coma was, you know, that that title is actually stolen from uh, a literary passage from uh, from one of my my favorite authors, this guy named Brian Catlin, yeah. and. Um, I, I, you know, that was part of this passage, and and I, I thought, oh my God, that's that's kind of beautiful. There's something about that, and uh, the guys loved it when I said it, and so that's just kind of how it stuck. But but if we think about it, I, I've I've kind of been thinking about that, and the the record. Um, I think it's a fitting title because it was kind of it was kind of meant to be listened to in its entirety, you know. Yeah. Um, all of the tunes, of course, you know. I mean, in 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 the digital age where we listen to songs as as opposed to full records, um, yeah, I think they stand on their own. But but it was written and recorded and sequenced the way that it was purposefully for someone to sit down and put on a pair of headphones and just listen to the whole thing. And I kind of wanted the record to, to sound like a fever dream. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the impetus behind it. Interesting. Because it definitely, everything flows together very nicely. It all, it is oh, as, thank far, you. Yeah. as far as like taking it apart. Cause I've watched some of the videos and they they can stand mm-hmm. on they can stand on their own. It's not that it it's almost it's not that it needs to be together, but it definitely flows together. So it's it's interesting Thank that you. a lot of a lot of stuff that needs to flow together. When you pull it apart, you feel like you're missing something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You feel like uh, there's, sure. there's a there's this weird and maybe a lot of times it's kind of just like a space feel. Like you feel like you walked in a room to like a conversation. You don't know what, what the initial start of it was. But with mm, with this yeah. record, you can walk in on any part of it. So it's 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 interesting that it was aimed to kind of be played as one one unit, and because uh, I I don't think that's a real easy thing to pull off that you can pull it apart and and get the full experience. Wow! Um, and like wow, yeah, thanks for saying that. That's it's awesome. It's a like as far Thank as like a, a guitar Thank player you. diving into this record, I'm like, this is cool stuff. <laughs> like, let's talk guitar. Yeah. But, Let's talk guitar today. We can talk about this record all we want, but oh man, let's <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Because I watched this morning. I, I've been listening to your record. Oh snap! Uh, really? Thanks. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love it. And this morning I watched uh, uh, Stomp live at Negative Space. Oh no way! And, and yeah, we need to talk guitar at some point today. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thanks it's so much. Phenomenal. That's... Oh, that stuff's great. Wow, thank you. That means a lot. No one ever looks me up. So <laughs> I appreciate you that. You know, I I and I, I sent I sent that video this morning to our drummer 
uh, Lyle Heisen, and yeah. he immediately texted me. I was like, how does that guy do that with an acoustic 12 string? What is he doing? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and I said, well, he's, he's running it through a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I got to, I, you're not wrong. It is going through a lot, but, um, I got a, I got a, uh, what's the pickup? Um, Seymour Duncan mag mic with the mic off. <laughs> oh, cool. And like, oh, wow. Okay. I got that in the Fishman pickup. I don't know what it is that's in that guitar. And I'll snake both of them together into a boss uh, line switcher and level them oh, out. Oh, wow. So it's like two oh, pickups wow. with two inputs. <laughs> okay. And I run that oh, through wow. a, a, I have a boost for the clean and a dirt for the uh, tomb screamer for the dirt. And that goes into a, um, this amp my dad built. So my dad's been building amps. He's been like, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. He doesn't play, which is the funny thing. Cause every time I tell someone, they're like, oh, yeah. He, my dad's really into like setting up guitars and like building amps, but he doesn't play. So it's cool because you know I get what? to try That's out. funny. That's funny because I, um, I don't play piano, but I trained as a piano, a piano tuner and piano technician huh. many years ago. Yeah. Is that, um, is that like kind of the first like music gig gig you had? No, okay. no, no, no. I mean, I, uh, first music gig that I had, I was young. I was really young. I, I, I started gigging, I guess, when I was about, I mean, I played my first gig when I was 13. Um, and then by the time I was 15, I was playing on a pretty regular basis with with guys that were a lot older than me, I was lucky. When I, I grew up on the Alabama Gulf Coast, um, in um, Mobile, Alabama, and I started playing in the late '80s. And um, you don't think of Lower Alabama as being necessarily a music mecca, and it's not, but. At that time, there was this. There, there was a great music scene down there, um, aided by we had a college radio station, and um, so I, I, I started playing guitar when I was like eight. Um, my dad was a guitarist, and um, you know, I, I come from a musical family, but. Um, yeah, so I, when I was about 15 is when it is when I started playing for money, you know, um, in cover bands, you know, and, and my mom and dad were really great in that they would let me go play in bars <laughs> when I was 15. And that's kind of where it all got started, you know, and I, I just kind of followed that road from there. And yeah. That's, what was kinda... the, what's like the sense of like a – W the music scene that was happening was it like a was it like kind of rock blues covers country music was it like new wave like what was the like the kind of the the pulse of it mm. it was all of that um uh i mean of course being the deep south there's this there's this you know, a huge blues and southern rock tradition and of course there's a huge country music tradition down there as well but 
for me, <laughs> the thing that I was the most excited about was, you know, the sort of 80s new wave thing. I, I um, We had a college radio station, and and the DJs there were playing all of that stuff from the 80s, like the Psychedelic Furs and Echo and the Bunnymen and the Smiths. And um, they also did a lot of 80s hardcore you know, like the Circle Jerks and Black Flag, and nice. um, so in you know being a, being a kid, that that stuff was really exciting to me. And so, like my my first band, we uh, we played covers by the Dead Kennedys and the Cramps and Love and Rockets and. Um, that was the stuff that really got me excited about playing and all of the other stuff kind of came afterwards, you know, once, once I realized that this was what I wanted to to do for, you know, that, that word career, that's when I really kind of went backwards and delved into all of that stuff. But I, you know, you realize that it's all around you growing up. You hear that stuff everywhere you know i I, um and so yeah i don't does that answer the question yeah no that was that was that was really kind of what did well because like coming yeah i'd I'd imagine like the country blue southern rock thing being a thing but like that doesn't just because that's what's around doesn't mean that's what inspires you because that can be intimidating (laughs) because those guys rip you know? Oh yeah. And oh yeah. The the sense of just being able to play and it's a right to create and be musical doesn't necessarily come from seeing someone just kill it. You know, that's that's <laughs> kind of intimidating. You <laughs> no, know? It really is, yeah. That, that, that oh yeah. Yeah. It You're right scream about that. that I can do it. It screams that I'd need to work before I even think about doing it. <laughs> like But boy, punk rock. Right. Anybody can do that, right? Or at least, at least that's what you're. That, that's that's kind of how it seems at first, you know. I mean, of course, my God, there, there are musicians within the punk rock canon who are, you know, like let's take East Bay Ray from right. the Dead Kennedys. Uh, he's he is an unsung guitar hero. He was he was the guy that really brought uh, chops and uh, a sense of harmony and and uh, a, a deep knowledge of music theory right. to to punk rock. You know, he he was the guy that brought a the brought melody to it. And a lot of people, you know, you, you think of punk rock being these guys in a garage banging out three chords, and that stuff's great. But there was a lot more going on with it. Definitely. For a lot of those guys, like he you, was a huge influence growing yeah. up. Oh yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. I can hear that now that you say that because there's a lot of there's a lot of crunchy notes. There's a lot of tritonism. Like there's a lot of like <laughs> dissonance within the Dead Kennedys. But like, it's kind of like a like when you hear that in like in the sense of like a band like Primus, you're like, oh, it it just you know it works. It's a little weird sounding. But as soon as you get that dissonance and put like a groove to it, and if it's coming at you like at hardcore speed, like it doesn't feel as like, Argh! but yes, okay. like it's, it's yeah. like all that put together. Um, cause like, and another thing, like if like with your music, with, with your, your melodies from diving into the last few records, I feel like they're very, uh, um, not vertical, horizontal, like 
as far as how they're approached on the guitar. And this may be a sum for some of them, but it, it feels very lyrical in a sense. And then like East oh, Bay wow. Ray kind of has kind of as far as like punk <laughs> punk lead is considered, he's more lyrical with <laughs> how he plays certain things. I feel than uh, oh yeah someone yeah. like um. Uh, Johnny Ramone, <laughs> but maybe not. You know? Well, I mean, I'm taking that back as that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Ramone, my God, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this stuff without him. For sure. But uh, but you're right. I mean, they they were really two completely different animals musically in terms of what they brought to the table melodically and and chops wise. Right. Um, I think East Bay Ray is probably a far better uh, guitar solo guy. Yeah, definitely. Than Johnny Ramone, but man, Johnny Ramone, my God, you. Hey, you know, what a character we're, we're, too. <laughs> oh, we're worshiping at the altar there. <laughs> Was it a, so? Did you catch the Dead Kennedys? Were you seeing any of these bands that they came through, or were you just hearing the records? Oh, I was just hearing the records. You know, I, it, it's surprising. Oh, oh, hang on, let me back up. Um, living down there, you kind of isolated. There were great shows that came through. A lot of them I was too young to get into at the time. You know, I, I a little bit later on, I got fake ID, and then when I when I was playing on a real regular basis, the Club owners all knew me, and they kind of usher me in. I, but, but I don't think the Dead Kennedys ever played anywhere near where I lived. Um, I saw I, probably one of the most important shows that I ever saw was the Bad Brains. Nice. In 1989 or 90, I guess, they came, and they played. And it was... Man, it was like watching lightning strike. It, it was one of the only shows that I've ever been to where I felt, and bear with me on this because I can't really explain why, but it's one of the only shows I've been to where I felt frightened. <laughs> not yeah. that I was going to yeah. be hurt, not, not, that, not that, you know, something was going to happen, but there was just this energy that they brought that was otherworldly. It was like going to a, a human sacrifice or something. They were incredible. And I I walked away from that show transformed. You know, I think I was probably 15. Um, and that, my God, that blew me away. That totally blew me away. But, you know, I mean, the, the drummer and bassist, in the Royal Arctic Institute, uh, Lyle Heisen and Dave Matamid, they, you know, they're both from New York, and they were around for all of that. You know, they played CBGBs all the time, and they, in the early 80s, they um, they had a, a, a punk hardcore band in New York called The Misguided. And, you know, I mean, those guys were really lucky. They got to see all of that stuff. I I kind of had to I kind of had to depend on 120 minutes and um, the little college radio station we had. But yeah, I got to see some of those shows. Nowhere near as many as I wish that I could have. 
but to see the bad brains in the prime, like that 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 makes up. That's like the the kitten energy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it oh can take God, away. It can incredible. take away some years. Um, it was incredible. I I I can't find words really to describe the intensity of that show. It was. It was a whole other level. I've never seen another show that came anywhere near it, intensity-wise. It's interesting that you say, like, lightning, because, you know, that's frightening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, be, but it's also beautiful. And the bad things, mm. man, like, what a cool show to get that. Like, it warms my heart knowing that like HR still playing, even though it's not bad brains. And like, oh, yeah. The, like, there's yeah. just, like, the no, he's doing his thing out there. Like... Have you watched the the two documentaries? There's a Bad Brains yeah. documentary, and then there's the one about HR. Have yes. you seen both of those? I've seen both of them. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do you say? What What can you say about that? The one, the one about HR, there were so many parts of that that were really heartbreaking. But, you know, I mean, at the very end – he finds some peace, right? You know, he finds love. He um, he he finds medication. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. It's it's like um, it's interesting, like because with that whole arc of it, like when you watch the Bad Rains one, you don't really get that like kind of detailed as you do with the HR one. But mm-hmm. like, you know, just how how like uh you gotta take care of yourself like that and if you don't know you know what i mean and like it so it is it is a to sp- i guess spoil it for anyone who <laughs> hasn't seen it but oh, it's a good spoiler because you want it to end good <laughs> you want yeah, H- yeah. you yeah. want hr to be playing shows and doing cool things and continuing to inspire the pma um <laughs> you know <laughs> no i know i know but um i saw a wow what was i gonna say about that because he, I saw as of lately, because I've been going back and forth with uh, trying to trying to uh, catch his ear for a little bit with his, uh, I think it's his wife, um, through email, and like they're playing, he's playing shows and stuff, and like I caught him once in Ohio with a, uh, he was playing um with some other reggae band, like he would play a few tunes by himself, and then he like he and he was just carrying around this like semi-hollow guitar you know it was just super like blessed blessing you know it was really fucking cool and like it was like he was playing he was playing an ibanez art core that's the one that's the one that's the one (laughs) yeah which are surprisingly great guitars yeah have you ever played one yeah my buddy had one and like, they're great. Once we set it up, it was, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, they're great guitars. Um, did you? But ever... that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get rid of your Telecaster? Huh? Did you ever get rid of your Telecaster? Uh, what do you What do you mean? Weren't you? I, you were selling it or something. Before I saw some video of you, uh, you oh, uh, dude, you you <laughs> dug deep. <laughs> that's that, that's about nine years ago. Oh yeah, that thing's <laughs> long gone. Oh, you 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 choked me out there. Yeah, that's long gone. I kind of wish I had it back. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel sure. I I don't know. I mean. Uh-huh. I would imagine you know about gear acquisition syndrome and regret that comes along with yeah. all of the things that we let go of. 
I can't play Telecasters. God, I've tried so hard. Um, all of my favorite guitarists play Telecasters, and and they make them sound so good. I, God, I've tried and tried, and I just can't. I finally, I finally let go. You know, it's okay. <laughs> it's not my thing. Uh, I wish it was, but you know, it's kind of like finding the acceptance that I'm never going to have a six pack. You know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm never going to be able to play a Telecaster. That's all right. They're they're weird. They're weird because you hear like <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you hear like Danny Gatton play a Telecaster, and you're like, what the fuck? And then you hear like mm-hmm. someone like Joe Strummer, and you're like, what the fuck? How are they getting these like? It's such a I don't know if it's a cheap guitar and that's you know what I mean like it's just it just always I I don't have one right but I've played friends and like I'm always like I want to learn how to like do some crazy chicken picking stuff and have uh-huh. my own like cuz that's the sound it comes from this twangy this twang like guitar here and like I just never have found one that's been like this is going to pan out so I was when you said that I'm like all right it's not just me I read an interview with Keith Richards once where he was talking about Telecasters, and I'm not going to do this any justice, but the gist of what he was saying was that they are so archaic that they really force you to be on top of your game, because if it sounds bad, it's going to sound really bad. And if if you can make it sound good, then it's going to sound really good like a Telecaster is supposed to sound. But if you're not on top of your game with one, it's going to accent all of your faults. That makes sense. I remember when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've always – here's a good one, though. I – well, you know, I lived in Austin, Texas for about 15 years. That that was, you know – um, in in Austin, you can't throw a rock without hitting a really good guitarist. All right, uh, you know, and 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 so I always stayed away from Stratocasters on principle. You know, it, it was stupid, but you know, I was like, I'm not going to play a Stratocaster. All these other guys do. Yeah, yeah. And then my band was on tour. Which band and was this had, at the time? This was this really interesting band called the Summer Wardrobe, okay. um, and I, you know, I'm primarily at that time, especially living in Texas, I was primarily a pedal steel guy. That was my thing, um, and I, I played pedal steel in this this band called the Summer Wardrobe that I co-founded with a good friend of mine. Anyway, we were on tour, and we had. We had a day off in New York City, and I had heard that Richard Lloyd from television um, gave lessons, right? And so I looked it up, and I thought, I've got the day off. I'm going to take a lesson from Richard Lloyd. And (laughs) so I, I found his number, and I called him, and he was teaching out of the music building in Midtown, where he had the studio, and so I went with the other guitarist in in the band. We went to take a joint lesson from Richard Lloyd. Who uh, do you do you know about Richard Lloyd? Yeah, do you, yeah, yeah. Do you I, like television? Yeah, okay. I did. A, I did an interview with him. 
Oh, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So he's like the Stratocaster guy. Yeah. yeah. And so we went to this interview, and um, oh boy, yeah, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna go there. Um, he the whole time he huffed whippets and yelled at us. <laughs> that. Doesn't seem <laughs> off character. <laughs> to be fair, I mean the whole time, like he he's huffing whippets and trying to show us something, and when we don't do it the way he wants us to, he starts yelling. And after that, I was like, "That's it, Stratocasters are my guitar. <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> I've found my guitar." So and that was that was kind of what broke me from my bias against those wonderful guitars. <laughs> was it with a so with that's really interesting because like he's a he's a he's definitely got chops and like um, oh god he's amazing he is a glorious kook. Like how did the, it was awesome yeah. Wow. He didn't learn anything other, <laughs> other than, other than, you know, uh, this, I don't ever want to huff a whip it. <laughs> well, it's a lesson, a lesson in something it else. Was. But... It was awesome. It was so awesome. I'm so glad that, that I had that experience. That's you know, amazing. That... Did yeah. He, did he do the alchemy thing? Like, yes. Okay, so what? How? If you had to sum that up, because like when I was when I was talking with him, I was asking him about it, and he's like, "No one wants to hear about music theory." I'm like, "Yes, yes, they do. Yes, we do." And he he didn't go into it. He was like, "So I I've been starting off every interview saying like, hey, if I ask some theory questions, please dive into it." I've had some people who thought my listeners don't care, and like, so like. And, and like other than comparing like uh intervals and um ratios to like uh, uh, sorry other than comparing ratios to intervals what what's like some of the alchemy alchemy like theory things he expressed cuz i didn't i didn't catch any of them man i've got to be honest with you i didn't really catch a lot of it either i was so in awe And the way that he was explaining it. Okay, so here's what I can tell you is that he explains that stuff from from a standpoint that, you know, you know exactly what he's talking about. Mm. Okay. When you and you don't, <laughs> but he, you know, he he kind of approaches it like he's talking to someone who really, really understands everything he's saying, um, and and you know, I I just kind of kept nodding my head like, oh yeah, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, he he was. I'm, I feel like I'm painting a negative picture of the man, and, and he was awesome. He was really, really awesome. It, it was a great experience. He's a kook. <laughs> and I yeah. mean that I mean that in the most positive way. I mean, like, God, he's Richard Lloyd. Right. Well, that's who we learn from. You don't learn <laughs> that's from the who guys. we learn from. You know, you don't learn from the guys that just, like, follow the Mel Bay book and, like— yeah, if you want to really want to, sh- you know, <laughs> you follow the form. That's how you get good. He had this. He had this great Stratocaster, though. 
I, I don't know what it was. Oh, yeah, he had this great Stratocaster that was, like, matte black. But he had played it so much that a lot of it was wearing off, and there was this there was this red underneath it. And I, you know, now they make all of those guitars that look that way. They yeah. make all of the distressed guitars. I mean, this was the real deal, and this was kind of before the whole um, boutique guitar thing started. And I remember thinking, "Wow, that guitar has seen some shit." Right. Right. <laughs> He like hung with Hendrix, you know. He, oh yeah, and like his stories are yeah. like crazy. When you talked, when I was asking him about Hendrix, you know, he was just like, "Yeah," you know what I mean, like not excited. <laughs> and like, it's like I don't get starstruck, and like you're like, after Hendrix, like I don't. I, how how could you? Like everyone else is going to be slightly disappointing. <laughs> like, I'll tell you a fun a fun uh, sort of related Jimi Hendrix thing what you got uh well you know i used to i used to play with rocky erickson yeah i was i was gonna work my way through that oh we can get to that in a minute but you know he i don't know how much you know about the man Um, but um he kind of had a rough go (laughs) he did he did you know um but by the time i got to him he was he was stable and he was on his, he was on medication and he's doing really good. But, you know, I mean, he's still, he's still, I'm not exactly certain how to say this. He still was other. Right. You know, well, he was other related. Yeah. And, um, so the whole Hendrix thing one night, yeah, I used to have to go pick him up for rehearsal. Yeah. So I would I would drive to Rocky's apartment and pick him up, and it would just be the two of us driving from South Austin to North Austin where we rehearsed. And one night we were in the car, and I said, "Rocky, did you ever, did you ever see the Beatles?" And he said, "No, did you?" <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I didn't. I never, I never got to. What about? Did you, did you ever get to see Jimi Hendrix? And he's like, no. Did you? <laughs> I, I said no. Uh, he, he died a couple of years before I was born. <laughs> and and Rocky just said, oh, uh huh. <laughs> that was that was kind of how how when I say he was sort of related to other. Right, right. Well, <laughs> kind of how it was what he went through and like because it was when he was living at the apartment. Was that like after he moved? Because he moved in with his mom for a while, right? Was oh that, yeah, and like yeah, he was with her for a very long. And like um, because he well like, he. His story was in the late 60s, you know, they they were busted in Texas uh, for marijuana. And he had uh, he he had a history of I think he had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So in order to not go to jail, um, they used that. And instead of going to jail, he went to um, Texas State Hospital for right. five years. And at that time, they administered electroshock therapy. Um, 
Now, you know, here we are, 2022, electroshock therapy is utilized a lot, um, but they've perfected it. You know, they, they, uh, they have plenty of um, experience and research with it now to, to know how to make it work. At that time, they did not, yeah. you know. And um, so he got out and was living with his mom and, uh, you know, made all of those great records in the 80s. But I think by around the 90s, he, he really wasn't doing well. That's when he was living with her. And, um, and then his youngest brother, Sumner, got, uh, got custody of him and uh, brought him up to Pittsburgh and got him in treatment. And... Uh, Got him stabilized, got him on medication, got him um, doing really well. And that's that's kind of how he had his whole reboot. And the, so, like, because from because I saw that doc on him and like, mm-hmm. you know, he's following the 13 floor elevators and like and his solo career post. Um like it, it, it's it's like it's it's beautiful because at the end it, it it gets better you know what I mean and like yeah and it's yeah. it's amazing how hard of a struggle that is but when he was like like well how did that manifest was he kind of was he kind of bipolar or was he just kind of there than not there type deal like what 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 did that look like when it was kind of difficult working with him or like a, when you noticed yeah. like it was kind of a um off kilter or you know what I mean. Well, when I say off kilter, what I really mean is that he was just kind of, um, just very eccentric and yeah. uh, just very other related. I and some of that I think was, um, you know, maybe a uh, maybe a byproduct of the medication he's on. But yeah. a lot of it was just him and his personality. And um, he was genuinely one of the sweetest people you could have ever met. He was he was warm and funny and just just kind of like a, a teddy bear, you know? <clears throat> he he loved to eat. <laughs> like his whole life revolved around mealtime. You know, we used to go to Sunday brunch together. Like yeah. the band, we would take it to Sunday brunch. And, oh, man, he was so happy. <laughs> Meatloaf with ketchup. That was <laughs> the nice. thing, you know? Nice, yeah. yeah. It was great. It well, was great. How'd you, end up, how'd you end up playing with him? Well, so my band uh, that I mentioned earlier, the Summer Wardrobe, right. um, the my partner in the band is a great musician named John Sanchez, and he's God. He's played with everybody. He's phenomenal. He was really good friends with Rocky's brother, who had um, custody of him and who right. had gotten okay. him sort of rehabilitated. And at that time, um, Rocky had a backing band at that time called the Explosives. They, they were a band who he had sort of worked with many, many, many years prior. And there was, 
we opened for them um, at the Bowery Ballroom here in New York. And then after that, there was a there was a New York show that they couldn't do, and so we got hired to be his band on that, and it just kind of went from there. You know, we, I, we only did it for about a year, but it was awesome. That, you know, playing yeah. playing shows with him was awesome because all of the attention was on him. You know, you're basically a, you know you're a, you're a backing musician. And you, I got to experience all of that energy that was directed toward them vicariously. Oh, it was, it was awesome. You know, a lot of people thought he was dead. A lot of his hardcore fans knew that he was still still at it and that he had been rehabilitated. But a lot of people didn't know. You know, he was this guy that who had just kind of fallen <laughs> fallen by the wayside of this cult status. Hey, I God, I remember we played some shows on the West Coast. We played at the um, the El Rey Theater in Los Angeles. And it was his very first time playing in L.A. since the 80s. And, my God, it was a mob scene. It was incredible. Oh, it was incredible. We were, like, driving. We were driving there from the airport. And when we went by the theater on our way there, there was like this huge line wrapped around the block. And, you know, me and the other guitarist, we looked at one another and we were like, my God, we have, we really need to step our game up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was great. We always had so much fun. And like, how would he, how musically, how would he direct? Was it because he, he seems like the character, you know, he seems like that warm, charismatic, like unique character, even through like watching the doc and like, and like the, 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 I don't want to say quirkiness, but the uniqueness of some of the song topics and like, so, you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> like you know, what I mean, so yeah. like, um, th that true heartedness rolls that comes out, you know, and like, um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. as a band leader, or as a musical he director, how that he wasn't. Yeah. No, okay. no, no, no. He 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 wasn't. Um uh the other guitarist that I mentioned, John Sanchez, okay. ended up sort of taking that role. Mm, it was okay. never it was never you know specifically said you're the band leader. But that's really kind of what ended up happening because Rocky he was just happy to be alive, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he never, he never once, never once would stop and say, "No, do it this way." Okay. You know, we yeah. learned all of those songs without him there, and we learned them to a T the way that they were recorded on the records. And then we went and picked him up and brought him over. And by the time he got there, I mean, we were really we knew that stuff backwards and forwards and all he had to do was show up and sing. Nice. Okay. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well that as a musician to have another musician kind of be like, this is what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like it, as opposed, cause I admit, you know what I mean? Like when, when I've been in a lot of those situations, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like when, when someone's like, yeah, give me more of a, you know, a, a blue vibe. Well, okay. I can follow that. But when you start talking orange, I don't know what you mean, dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you start like really getting like, <laughs> uh, 
when you lose that that vocab and like you stumble upon a thing you weren't paying attention to and they're like yeah more of that and you're like oh shit <laughs> like <laughs> so when i was like die so when did lap steel become the kind of like cuz that's that seemed like a to be like that one as far as jumping from guitar to lap steel now are you playing like is it the 10 string lap steel like uh or not lap, pedal steel pedal steel pedal sorry steel. Um, um well i i uh, I play a Universal 12. Okay. Which, you know, you you have the traditional pedal steels are two necks, right? Of right. 10 strings each. You have an E9 tuning and a C6 neck. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Universal 12 smushes those together so that you have an E9 and B6 tuning. Okay. Um I mean, if you want to get really technical, um, you know, F sharp, D sharp, G sharp, E, B, G sharp, F sharp, E, yeah. B, G sharp, E, B. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's your extended E9 right. tuning. Right. And via a combination of knee levers, um, you know, you, you change the tuning to a B6. It's just a big, giant math problem. It's the hardest right. thing I've ever done. Um, I started playing lap steel first, um, late nineties. Um, I had always loved the sound of pedal steel and I had always been told, you know, it, that it's like one of the hardest instruments to learn. And I was always just in awe of the guys that could do it. Um, I didn't, but I didn't fall into it from a country standpoint um there was a band from san francisco called the american music club uh, mark eitzel and the american music club and they they had a pedal steel player who approached it from a completely non-country hmm. perspective and i would listen to those records and think oh my god that's breathtaking what is he doing, you know? But then I associated it with, well, you know, I'll never be able to do that. Pedal steel is supposed to be the most difficult instrument and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then one night I went to see Richard Butler, mm -hmm. and he had this pedal steel guy named Eric Haywood playing with him. Um, and in retrospect, Eric Haywood had like a show bud beginner's model that only had three floor pedals and one knee lever. Hmm. But I watched it play all night and thought, oh man. And uh, the following week I went out and bought one and I, I found a teacher and I started practicing my ass off and found my way into a band that didn't really realize that I wasn't that good. <laughs> and, and, you know, just kind yeah. of learned that way. And like I said, living in Austin, you, you, you know, you, you can't, like I said earlier, you can't throw a rock without hitting a really good guitarist. But if you learn to play something like pedal steel, 
all of a sudden, it opens up a lot of doors for you. So I just practiced and practiced. And once I got, you know, competent on it, I, I started um, I started doing a lot of country shows. Um, those guys have all the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so I did a lot of session work. Um, I did some touring with some people. Um, and I just kept doing it and kept honing that craft. And, uh, yeah, did, I mean, was that the question? Yeah. Is that, oh, is that, cause uh, I, yeah. Because um, I, I play lap steel and I've been mm-hmm. wanting to get a pedal steel. And, uh, do it. That's, do it. And then I look at how much they cost. I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. I mean, you can get some. Uh, look, if you're going to do it, I highly recommend getting an E9. Okay. Three pedal, two knee lever model. So, what do the levers do compared to the pedals? Same thing. Okay. They it's lower. Just... They lower in race strings. It's just a different combination. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you're gonna do it, you need you need one that's at least two knee levers. You okay. need one that's gonna lower the ease and raise the ease. Okay. Um. And of course, like the traditional three pedals, the A, B, and C pedal. And now there is just a wealth of instruction on YouTube. There's some phenomenal teachers on YouTube that you can get so much information from and who really break it down in a way that's um, digestible, so to speak. Yeah. But I started on lap steel. That's a great place to start because that allows you to really work on your right and left hand technique. Right. And just moving with those, like the intervals, like the sixes and like the, mm-hmm. just even trying to be vertical, um, not vertically, a uh, horizontally expressive, right? Because you learn how to mm-hmm. run these scales up and down. And that's, I think yeah. that's what pans yeah. so much. That makes the fact that you spent so much time honing this craft and listening to your record now, that makes sense why the melodies work how they do. And like, um, cause like, it, it definitely has the kind of bounced back to this record, but I'm definitely, I'm gonna look into that because I, I want do, one. Yeah, do it. And like, I'm do like, it. oh, there are a couple, you know, that's a, that's a couple thousand dollars. I don't, so I gotta keep hunting until I find one I can like, can afford. Um, but like, because uh, this record, <laughs> going back to the, the new record, it's got this jazz and like, and country influence, like, in, in, uh, in just like the right way. Like, I feel like the progressions, like, have like these kind of jazz esque chord progression, like this jazz movement, this harmonic feel of it. But the melodies have that like kind of bend and twang and like, like it, it's like the the if Danny Gatton like really got <laughs> into a into that space where he was making like a record like that. But you know what I mean, like, because I feel like Danny Gatton kind of like was in the was in the the showmanship kind of. Uh, stage for a while like I you know he was then he was doing way more bluesy things but when you listen you ever watch hot licks are you hit whoa you ever watch oh, hot yeah. Licks? yeah so oh, like yeah. when you yeah. listen to him talk about stuff I feel like that guy wants to make a country jazz record but I didn't hear it <laughs> like <laughs> and I feel like this is like that type of vibe um so 
can you tell me about uh, your friend John, who inspired this project? My friend John. Um, I'm gonna mess up saying his last name because I didn't catch it. Blessin. Besson. Besson. Oh wow. Besson. Oh wow, man, you did your homework. <clears throat> um. Okay. Uh, yeah, John Besson. Um, when I lived in. Austin, he uh, he was one of my very best friends, and he was one of the best amp repair guys hey. that I have ever met. <laughs> Did he know? play? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he was an old school Texas guy, um, and he also had a line of guitar pedals called Austone Electronics. Oh, cool. And yeah. one of the most, like the, the holy grail of that was the, uh, the Millennium Overdrive was yeah. his sort of signature pedal. Um, he was just a really wonderful, wonderful guy. We were like family, you know? My, my mom and dad would come for Thanksgiving and we would all hang out together. And um, anyway... Uh, sad story. Um, he, he woke up one morning and got up out of bed and dropped out of heart attack right there. And it was devastating, you know, it was devastating for everybody who knew him. Um, so basically I wanted, I, I wanted to do something to tribute him. And so I put together a trio in Austin and uh, played a bunch of music that I had kind of written in in tribute to him. Yeah, John Besson. God bless him. He uh, he was a great guy. But that didn't that didn't really have any um, that that didn't really have an impact on this band. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was that was that was this trio that I did in Austin before, gotcha. right before moving to New York. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mixed that up, but it's all right. No, it's your projects. Like when you do music, you do so much. You know, you, any gig you can get, you're like, yeah, I can do it. So, um, like <laughs> navigating the water of someone who hustles as hard as you do makes it <laughs> makes it hard to do. Well, or let's let's rephrase that hustles as hard as I did. Did well, I, I? I don't I don't hustle that hard now. Royal Arctic Institute is my only thing because I, you know, I have a whole other career outside of music now, and um, and that allows hmm. me to not have to care if anyone likes the music we play. Which is a very, you know, yeah. it's wonderful. Because <laughs> that's like I, it, I don't know. It's very freeing. Right, right. Because you know, when you do music full time, you kind of like lock into the gigs that you have to eat. You know, you, you take all the mm -hmm. when they stop being cool, you're still you have to. I'm I'm, pl I'm doing stuff with my guitar. I'm still doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even though inside, oh, man. I, I can't <laughs> I can't tell you how many like just mind numbing country gigs I had to play to make rent. Right. You right. know, I mean, you play these gigs where they're not paying you to play. They're paying you to stay awake through the set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds really negative. I would hate to have not had those experiences, you know, I, I, I because all of it led to here. 
And I was really fortunate, really lucky to get to do what I got to do. For sure. For sure. But, it's but now I'm, I feel really lucky now because I'm playing with these guys who, I mean, all five of us have, have done it for years and years. And uh, the other four guys in the Royal Arctic Institute are just monster musicians. And I mean, talk about keeping me on my toes. Those guys are, are it's an honor to get to play with them. And they're also, we, you know, we're also all really good friends. That makes this, it even better, you know. This stage in life, I don't have any business playing music with anybody that I wouldn't want to go to dinner with, you know. Yeah. Well, that makes, I don't know, that, that, that as a unit, you, the audience picks up on that. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we're not doing mm-hmm. as many live things now, but if you're if you're on stage and you're having fun with your friends, people are drawn into that. Like, oh yeah, the few gigs me and my bass player have had recently, people are like, "You guys are hilarious," and I'll be like, "Well, did you like the song?" It's like, "You're so funny. <laughs> you guys are out. Do you want to hang out? And like, did you like the music?" Like, but you know, people pick up on the vibe. So if you if you're good friends with the people you're playing music with, not only does it gel musically, but it it gels like as a whole thing and like uh, that it's it's inter- it's interesting like when someone's really like uh, how like people pick up on that even if you don't sigh into the mic you know oh sure <laughs> oh you can always tell when somebody's just dialing it in right um how do you do you okay so diving through your youtube and like sorry mm-hmm. these questions have been all over the place but like no it's diving been a lot your, of fun i'm having so much fun talking with you same this is great. same diving into your into your history is kind of all over do you know mark rabo or do you play with him because there's so many good concert <laughs> footage of him and like footage of him um i uh i took a guitar lesson from him yeah when I first moved to New York and I ended up, I, I got to play on a record that he played on. And so those are, but I, I, I recorded my parts at my home studio and sent them in, you know, I didn't get to play with him, but I did take a lesson from him. And so if you walked up to him and asked him if he knew me he would look at you like no nah, i have no idea who you're <laughs> talking about if i walk up to him and say hey he kind of looks at me and then i say you gave me a lesson on my 40th birthday <laughs> and he says oh hey <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i used to go see him all the time and my god what a Talk about somebody who's done everything. Right. That guy has done everything. There is no style of music that he can't play. And yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he's, I don't even consider him human. He's like <laughs> this other thing. He's incredible. What was that lesson like? What, what, how do you... Oh my God, it was awesome. I yeah. was in his apartment with him <laughs> in Brooklyn. I went to his apartment in Brooklyn and uh, we, uh, he, what did we do? We deconstructed two Django Reinhardt tunes and he taught me about sort of the approach tones that Django used. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, to be honest with you, man, I don't remember a lot about it because I was so scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was just in awe the whole time. Um, it, It was... It's a sweet story. I mean, it was my 40th birthday, and my darling wife uh, went behind my back and somehow managed to get hold of his manager and set up a surprise lesson with him on my 40th birthday. That's amazing. It was <laughs> awesome, you know, and and so, it, you know, I mean, I'm like sitting in his living room thinking, oh, my God, I'm in Mark Rebo's apartment, and he's being really nice to me. And I, ah, <laughs> it was really strange, but it was great. That's I would like, I would hate to have not had that experience, you know. <laughs> oh, for sure. Because like diving, <laughs> like when I was going, I'm like, oh man, you got so much good footage. And my drummer, he he actually turned me on to Mark. Like he's like, yeah, you gotta check out. And he was showing me him doing some like so He was playing like an acoustic. At, like Gibson or something, and was doing cool mm-hmm. train like Interstellar or something like by yeah. himself. I'm like, what the? Fuck? Oh yeah, that's so sick. Yeah, and then like, uh, so he he just came out with a book lately, and like my drummer's been reading it, and we're going. I think he's gonna let me borrow it soon. So like, when it's I, great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Read it. Okay. It's okay. great. It's called Unstrung. Yeah. And it's it's so good. It's basically a collection of essays, um, and they're kind of all over the map, but they're great. But yeah, we we'll talk about like I I don't know that, and then like so when I start, I'm like fuck, I want to watch all these so I can so I can comment on them, and then we can have a real just a, a nerd out sesh. But um, <laughs> I sent it to my drummer. I'm like, dude, check this out. <laughs> His solo acoustic stuff is my favorite. It's so cool. I, oh yeah. I've never seen anything like that, like or at least in that type of context. Because like when you think of like like someone doing a Coltrane tune like that. Like it, in an ensemble makes sense, and like, but to just hear it on guitar by itself, it it puts a whole new perspective on it, and like, I, I don't know, it's so cool. <laughs> a couple of years back, a couple of years back, he had a residency at John Zorn's place, The Stone. Yeah, and he had this one night. I I had it on my YouTube channel. I recorded the show. It was incredible. It was him solo with that 1930s Gibson L double zero that you see him playing. And the theme of the night was him deconstructing um, Thelonious Monk tunes on solo guitar. Damn. And, you know, it's it's unreal. It's something other. If you find that, I, I, you know, when you get done today, I'll, I'll send those to you. It's, it's worth sitting down for an hour and watching it. For sure. He weaves all of these different themes into these tunes, like other musical themes from other tunes. He manages to weave them back and forth within each other just seamlessly. It's, it's mind blowing to watch. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing to deconstruct something like that, like Monk and like like Coltrane. All this stuff seems so complicated because it is, but the kind of deconstructed like he does and presented in that way, like I, I I haven't seen that concert, and I'm excited for you to send that to me so I can lose my brain with that, or at least lose my brain trying to follow it. But just the being able to like t- take something like that from afar and put it in a different context, 
just to separate like even the melodic the melodic direction of some of those tunes you know what i mean like where like you know what i mean like <laughs> like, it, like a song like love supreme you know or a song a, a record like love supreme like trying to de- deconstruct just that like no one i've never heard anyone really cover that like no. i've heard people like santana's throwing a couple shots at it and like uh, but it's such its own thing within that that context to be able to zoom out and like see the the overarching thing with it is so hard. Like, do you? Yeah, do you, he 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 does it seamlessly. Do you uh do you deconstruct stuff like that? Is that like, like as far as a, a practice that oh. you've been diving into, like as of lately to write write and stay like on top of things like musically? Do you have a practice like that where you're taking apart things that you've always been trying to figure out or like? Or is it just like, or do you, do you have like a, uh, as far as like a, a guitar, like keeping the, um, keeping the mechanism oiled technique, like not technique, but a practice. Well, I, I sat down and I learned the theme tune to Better Call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I thought, God, that's great. Um, <laughs> it is. I not. Oh, how do I practice? Um, that's a great question. I don't really know how to answer it. I, I don't necessarily deconstruct stuff. I I, I learned some um, some different arrangements for some Christmas tunes. Yeah, that I've done. Uh, walking in a winter wonderland and uh, dreaming of white Christmas. Um, but no, I I I just sit down and start playing, and if something comes out, I'll follow it. Um, but then there are also you may have had this experience. There are those days where you'll sit down and pick up your guitar and you realize if I continue playing right now, I'm going to hate myself. So I'm just going <laughs> to yes. walk away from it. <laughs> yep, definitely. Uh, I've had a lot of those days over the past week being, being sick. I'll come in here and start trying to play and nothing will come out. But I, the way that I learned growing up, um, I had a lot of different teachers over the years, but I had this one teacher who we would sit down and pick apart Dead Kennedy's records. And he would teach me how to play all of East Bay Race parts. And that was really kind of how I, I never learned to read music. Um, it's a big regret of mine. I wish that I had listened to my parents and actually sat down and studied music notation. Um, but I did learn theory and, you know, I can read chord charts all day, but just not, you know, uh, music notes on a, on a page. Um, but I always pretty much learned by sitting down and listening to something and trying to pick it apart, you know, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily deconstruct it, but <laughs> but just pick it apart from what I was hearing. I would, you know, I would uh, I would hit stop, rewind a lot. 
was <laughs> that i mean that's that's it's such a guitar thing you know like i, I guitar is such oh, a feel-based like instrument that like it makes sense that the, the chord chart like even like taking a sheet a piece of sheet music and trying to play it on the guitar how how the voicings and like positions are spaced out like there are some that work better than others but there's no like on piano you know that's middle c on yeah. guitar it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. whichever one you want to do like you know like well, you know when i was a kid and i first started playing um my first teacher uh gave me the mel bay book you know and i i you know i was like a nine (laughs) eight nine year old kid and i i wanted to be brian setzer (laughs) and yeah i've got this guy with glasses trying to get me to play twinkle twinkle little star out of the mel bay book and i'm like fuck this this isn't what i want to do this town is not (laughs) and so so i got my parents to get me another teacher and it was this woman i'll never forget her name was dg bruton i would love to know where she is now but she got it she knew that if i'm gonna keep this kid engaged i'm gonna have to teach him chords where he can play along like basic chords where he can play along with the stuff that he's watching on mtv and she did. Like she, she, you know, she taught me all of the basic chord shapes in first position, and would write out, you know, tabs for things like, I don't know. I mean, God, what did she teach me? She taught me some Billy Joel tunes and um, the Gambler by Kenny Rogers. She taught me that, and that was a lot more interesting to me because I could actually, you know, hear what. Right. How. how yeah, you could and precisely. You could hear how it fit. Yeah, yeah. It's and sorry. Mm-mm, no, go ahead. I was gonna say that's 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 where the like not where the money. That's that's the target, right? Like, when if you have a student, how do you capture their interest? Or what 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 do you need? Because there's so much of like the approach that is like, you're right. You do need to know how to read music. This does pan out, but right now, you're an eight year old who doesn't care about anything other than is it fun. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, can I take my guitar to the to the Friday show and tell at school and make all these kids like me? <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. and, and it's playing. You're supposed to be playing music at first, not, yeah. not practicing. Yeah. You know, if yeah. if I take this thing to class and play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, I I'm not gonna have a girlfriend. <laughs> 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 Definitely, but, <laughs> but it's 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 always interesting because like, um, as far as like writing, you know, what I mean, like I I'll ask a lot of songwriters like if they have a practice or a routine, but when it comes to guitar playing, like I find myself just like d- d- finding books on whatever and being like, I don't know anything about Cuban mu- music, and here's a book on like Cuban music adapted for the guitar. I'm a, a wow. read through that, you know. <clears throat> Not that I'm gonna ever play it. Mm-hmm. But I just like the I like the constant, and I I think it's a guitar thing, right? Because like even with like jumping to lap steel and then the pedal steel, like there's like this thing with with guitarists that they're like, oh yeah, at least at least I've noticed. Okay, there's a thing with this guitarist talking right now. There's um, 
I want to learn bits of everything. Like, oh, jazz is cool. How how do you do that? This uh, that whatever run and like, oh, you know who else is cool? Uh, Jimmy Page. How's he? Do? You know what I mean? Like, mm. there's like kind of like oh, this yeah. scattered mindness of like all these cool things and like so that as far as like what I've been doing, it's just like watching hot licks DVDs and like just like trying to get in different mindsets and that kind of sparks like. Well, that progression was cool. Can I make that into a song? Um, yes. You... Okay, so let's take it back to Mark Rebo for a moment. He he had this quote that I'll never forget. He said that you develop your own style by trying to emulate your heroes and failing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll sit down with the Hot Licks video. I'll sit down with the Danny Ga- the, the Danny Gatton Hot Licks video, and I won't be able to play that stuff. But uh, what what I take from it, I can throw it into something else. I do that a lot. Right, right. That well, that you know, that's like taking the taking a quote and using it in the right in the right context of the right conversation. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you uh I I will never be able to play like Bill Frizzell. But boy, I can try and fuck <laughs> it up real good and something kind of interesting might come out of it, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and like it which I I feel like that kind of approach is very guitarist based, like talking to like some singer songwriters and trying to like see if they have a routine or like, and I, I, it, I guess, you know, that sounds like a generic question sometimes as far as like an interviewer, like, how do you write? Do you do the music first? <laughs> but like, there's, I feel like there's something to the, if you're working within that process, like just even seeing it, like someone does something every day, like you get like a, you get a practice of some sort, even if it's like someone who's very like in the meditation, well, how does that pan out mm. in their music? And like, and it, it falls under that category of songwriting questions. You know what I mean? Like you can't, I can't escape that when I'm trying to wrangle the right way to ask that. But like, uh, it's, it, I just always find that fascinating. Like there's all these little bits of different approaches and like, but with guitarists, I feel like there's that, like just even taking the lick and like trying to make it your own is in, in the big scheme of things, like doing that with a song. You know what I mean? Like sometimes sure. songwriters, you know, they'll harp on a Dylan theme, like, okay, this is all talking blue shit. You know what I mean? Or this is all no a rephrase or what do you call it? Uh tags at the end, like can't buy me love or whatever, or it's just one phrase at the end of the sentence. Um, just like weird like song forms. But like for the guitarist it seems to like to be around that kind of stylist choice. But uh that's a really solid quote. That makes me think of a Mary Oliver has a quote like that. And it's basically like self-expression can't be obtained until one tries to emulate. And uh, it was like through emulation and like, or <laughs> that's not even a word. <laughs> um, through a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, replication and like extreme dedication, uh, one can find self-expression. And like. Uh, it's pretty beautiful. I, I, I botched it. That's me trying to remember it. But it hits that uh, Mark Rabot quote like in the same way, like mm. which means I really gotta get that book now. Shit. 
Oh, it's good. It's really good. It's a great read. It's a great read because, you know, like I said, it's kind of in essay form, so you can just read one and put it down and nice. come back to it a couple you, of weeks are you, later. If you see. Are you a big reader? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. What kind of, what's avid that? reader. <clears throat> like what kind of um, – like philosophy? Are you into poetry? Are you into like – <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of into, uh, ooh. I like, I mean, I, I read whatever and get my hands on. Um, I have a subscription to the New Yorker and I have a subscription to the London review of books and the New York review of books. And, uh, I, I, but I really love surrealist fantasy fiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's a genre. That go. is a genre. I love that kind of stuff. I I, I love um, I love ghost stories. I love um, you know. I, but I also love you know Dostoevsky and um, uh, Tolstoy and uh, you know the the Russian romantics, uh, heavy hitters. But yeah, are you are you an avid reader? Yeah, I I'm a philosophy dude. I like diving into like how people like think about things. <laughs> mm, okay, um, yeah. And but lately, I've just been like spending a lot of time picking apart other people's stuff, which is fun. Like you know, what I mean, like the 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 have this conversation. I had to dive deep into what you did and where you're coming from, which is to me is fun because like I, I you know, if not, I'll just listen to the comfort food. I'll eat, I'll listen to my carb music. I'm like, I know I like mm. this, so I keep going back to it. Um, to kind of, like, wrap it up and speak about the album, because I've had a blast. This conversation has oh, been awesome. This has been a this ton of This has fun. been so much fun for me. This is, yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. But, but um, to kind of touch on the, the idea of the coma and the catnip, and the idea that this, this catnap. album. Catnap. Catnap? Oh man, I yeah. read it catnip, but my JPEG is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh. That's funny because, okay, when we first started off today, I told you that, you know, just got these two one year old cats. Right. Uh, the, the last night gave them catnip for the first time. Well, how'd that go? Oh man, they went full <laughs> tilt. They got gray. <laughs> it, was, it was so awesome to watch. Yeah. It's but anyway. Cool. But I, my one cat loves it. My other cat, he'll hiss at it. I don't get it. <laughs> he's like the, he's like the Ian Mackay. He's straight edge cat. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, but I get well. Even like the idea of the cat nap, the drifting into one thing, and like or a coma, drifting into this state. That album kind of does that, like as far like and especially kind of picking your brain with it and like knowing that it was supposed to be, uh, um, consumed as one full piece, and like mm. it, it's interesting that the title just happened to kind of fit that, but um, and with like there was like th you have these bend approaches and the melodic, like so uh, kind of adapting from pedal steel to did you take, uh, I guess pedal steel approaches for melodies with like because in this one you're just playing l electric guitar right like i don't have like a yeah. credit list on yeah. it. and like from the videos yeah. i picked up on it looked like it was just guitar so like well there, there are two of us right but like uh 
like with writing melodies and how much of like that um, pedal steel approach kind of altered writing these melodies? Because I, I feel like there's like this, you have a, a very unique approach to it that l I haven't really heard, which is really oh, cool because uh -huh. it's like I've heard it in its own context, but not in this, con you know what I mean? Like, like this wow. kind of like jazz country space and like I don't want to define what your music is because it's you know that's just my like gra my understanding of things and trying to describe it back to you which is always you know uh, argument somewhere but like it, it did that that practice really pay off in writing like this and does that pay off right like as far as understanding pedal steel um, absolutely yeah yes okay. absolutely um, I I uh I don't know that it's something that I consciously set out to do, but the other guitarist in the band uh, is this guy named Lynn Wright. And Lynn is probably, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, he's probably the best musician I've ever played with. Um, I mean, he's he's on par with Rebo and all those guys. He's phenomenal. And he and I, subsequently, we've known one another since the early 90s. We've been friends a long time. But he, this wasn't something that I had ever really thought about until he said to me, you approach guitar uh, the way you do because you're a pedal steel player. And it wasn't until, you know, somebody kind of verbalized it that I thought about it. And he was absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. Cause like it, it's that, yeah, no, that totally did, that answered it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I did, sorry. Sometimes my quite like, sometimes my questions are more just like kind of thoughts to kind of like expand upon, but like that it's, it's, it's interesting that it was all kind of like, um, not thought out. Like it just happened. And like, which. Yeah, I, it was totally just happened. There was nothing, there was no, um, I never once thought, you know, I'm going to try to play this like I'm playing pedal steel, but because I played pedal steel, it came out the way that it did. That's beautiful. And it's weird because, like, to kind of compare that to, like, a, like a talking, right? Like, when you when you talk with someone long enough, you pick up on some of their phrases or some of their, like, philosophically, like, how they're going to think about this topic, and then you kind of uh, expand upon it that way even when they're not there, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, it's interesting to see the music kind of uh, inverse of that. But... Uh, mm. You know what I mean? Like when you when you hang oh, out, with yeah. A, yeah, like you hang out with a friend who's just sick a lot, and you start saying sick, or when someone's <laughs> when someone really harps on the, the like tritones for no reason and looks at you yeah. when you're doing it, like, and you start doing that in the wrong project, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, well, that's hip. Oh, that's but, funny. But, awesome. but yeah, now I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you picked up on that. That. That tickles my heart. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. This has been awesome. Oh, man. Thank you. This has been wonderful.